This is Bulls Beat on USF Bulls Unlimited. Each weekday morning, Bulls Beat is your stop for exclusive interviews, highlights, and the very latest on all sports at the University of South Florida. With today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. Coming to you from Columbia, South Carolina today. I think you know why we're here for the Women's Basketball NCAA Tournament. It begins on Friday. In fact, it began last night with the first four. We'll also have plenty of highlights. We were not broadcasting any of these games on Bulls Unlimited, but we were watching and following along from here with baseball and softball. Baseball gets a much-needed win after a game that we did broadcast. We'll give you a couple of, not highlights, but moments from that game that sort of set the stage for a needed victory on Wednesday afternoon for the Bulls, which they got and they had to work to get. Softball looked like it was going to roll to a doubleheader victory against Jacksonville. Did roll in the first game before losing in the second one. We'll set up the weekend. Looks like the weather's going to come through this weekend, which could make it for somewhat of a disappointment just because of so many games that are scheduled, and we'll lay out what's to come. We definitely, since we did not do a show yesterday because our flight out of Tampa was very early and I you know wanted to make the flight so we passed on doing a show but definitely wanted to give love we did a brief Bulls report with the news of men's golf but we'll get more detail on that in fact Tuesdays and Wednesdays is when the new golf and tennis rankings come out and your Bulls are in all of the major rankings not in the top 50 but close enough and we'll just want to give you the importance of that and one of the Bulls was named the player of the week as far as men's golf went had a chance on tuesday and still trying to get the audio for you and we'll once we have it give you some highlights of it but had a chance to talk to romaine beckford it was great to see the media gathered around a lot of tv media was there at the track it's definitely outdoor track and field season oh yeah those guys have a big event coming so if we can't get the audio for you today we'll have it on tomorrow's show especially head coach Eric Jenkins, who, of course, talks a lot about his national championship high jumper, but talking about what's coming up this weekend, and some major schools are going to be competing at the USF track and field. And as we told you on Tuesday's show, you will have a chance to actually work the event, volunteer the event, but that's something we'll discuss more tomorrow. Unfortunately, that weather I just mentioned, it's going to rain this weekend, could make it kind of tough for an outdoor track and field meet, but I think Friday will be okay. I hate to jack with everybody's schedules. I know you guys all have it trained in your brain that Bulls beat is every day, and then Around the American is a show that on Mondays we give its own separate in the afternoon, longer version, and then Wednesdays and Fridays we kind of tuck it in at the end of the hour. Well, for family reasons, I push the show from Monday to Tuesday. And then, of course, Wednesday we were planning on giving you around the American. There's a lot happening. Basketball, postseason, baseball, we never even got to tennis. We'll take care of that today. We will actually, even though it's Thursday, end the hour by going around the American. And there actually were a couple of teams in the conference that won in the NIT last night, which was pretty cool to watch. So that's one of the highlights we'll touch upon. So a lot to get to here, and let's start off with, we mentioned Romaine Beckford already. That's the big sort of overlying story. I would like to point you in the direction of GoUSFBulls.com. Joey Johnston wrote, and I knew that he was going to go with this as his lead, that he had a big celebration at the school, and everyone was there rooting him on, and here's his cake, and he didn't eat it. (laughs) That was one of the more interesting things that Coach Jenkins mentioned, how Beckford went from being a little overweight four-eye jumper to a guy that has dropped 15 pounds to get to 185. And man, I would say definitely watch that video that the USF track and field Twitter page put out on Wednesday night. We can actually see it in slow motion and how he pulled that off. But 
Another thing, speaking of pulling off, that was pretty important this year for maybe a team that's used to getting to the NCAA tournament. Last year got as far as you can get in the men's golf NCAA championships, that is to the final event. Steve Bradley's men's golf squad had not seen that success yet. And we're not just talking about the spring, we're going back to the fall. But they win an event this week, and they have the American Athletic Conference Player of the Week. They did it with an enormous showing on Tuesday, and they did it in very cold conditions, and they outdueled a team from Maryland, and most of the schools in this event were from the Northeast. In fact, the Bulls were kind of the Lone Ranger. You look at the 18 teams in the field, and Miami's in there. That would be Miami of Ohio. You got William and Mary from Virginia. I mentioned the other day you had George Washington, which is D.C., George Mason, which is Virginia, Georgetown, which is also D.C. in this event, St. Joe's Villanova. In other words, a team from down south is not supposed to come up and win this thing, especially when that team, although it was doing well in second place, entered the final round. This was Tuesday down 10 shots to a seemingly unstoppable Loyola, Maryland team that, like the Bulls, had not turned any top three finishes in. They had actually gone out to Arizona, which is forward thinking shows you where they're coming from because that's where the NCAA tournament championships are held talking about the Greyhounds but as far as the Bulls went their best finishes in the fall and the spring were a couple of sixth place finishes and that's just not up to their standards and their computer ranking was outside of the top 100 as a result and I don't know if you guys know this but unlike the NCAA tournament we're seeing it with men's and women's basketball especially on the men's side where you know, a team like FAU finishes with a computer ranking in the top 15 and they get stuck with a nine seed. There's no way that should happen. And you've got power conference teams whose net rankings are in the 50s getting in over teams that are in the top 40 just because of the power conference nature. North Texas, Liberty, by computer ranking, should have been in the field and weren't. Well, in golf, they don't mess around like that. They go straight by the rankings. And there are so many teams that make the tournament. If you're in the top 50, you're golden. If you're in the top 60, you got a chance as long as there's not a bunch of upsets in conference tournaments. And of course, the Bulls do host the conference tournament, so they are going to have that advantage. But if you are even in the 65-70 range, UCF got in with the last spot last year, even though their computer ranking wouldn't have jumped out at you. So if you can win a tournament, you're going to move up the charts, and the Bulls won a tournament. They, again, were down by 10 shots, just one shot ahead of third place Elon, that was the southernmost team besides USF, by the way, thanks to the Greyhounds putting together a 14-under round as a team. There were two rounds on Monday, and the amazing thing about their second round, they had three golfers go 4-under par. Their best golfers scored it in count, and so Loyola was thinking, we got this in the bag, 20-under par through two rounds the Bulls were 10 under par. So hoping for second place, right? Well, golf is a funny game. Bunch of red on the scorecards for Loyola on round two. We told you they had three golfers go four under par. Well, those same golfers went six over, six over, and one went one under. So while the Greyhounds were keeping the door open, the Bulls were smashing through it with their third straight consistent round of five under par, 283. In the final round, they were led by the AAC Golfer of the Week, Jake Peacock, a transfer from Western Carolina, shot six under par 66. That put him nine under for the tournament. That was good for third place. George Washington's Jacob Renda rolled to a 13 under par showing. Then it was Timmy Crawford of Loyola, Chicago. Yes, there were a bunch of George schools in this event and two Loyolas. And then the Bulls, Jake Peacock was third. 
Then it was a drop-off of four shots to the fourth-place golfer, and that was Shuby Jaglon of the USF Bulls. Five under par, also finishing tied for seventh with two others, thus in the top ten with Sam Nicholson, two under par. And important to note that Nino Palmquist came in tied for 14th, even though it was his worst round, he was one over par. Funny thing, the Bulls didn't light up the scoreboard outside of Peacock because they only had one other golfer go under par, but it was much better than anyone else on that final round. The 283, which is the exact same score the Bulls posted in their first two rounds, was the best of the day. In fact, the team that was right behind the Bulls, Elon, shot a 13 over. So five under was really, really good. And in the end, the Bulls and Loyola, Maryland, were the only two teams under par. The Bulls were well under it by 15 shots. Coach Steve Bradley on GoUSFBulls.com says, I'm proud of each one of them. It has been a very crazy year. They've continued to work hard without seeing the results. Today's round validates their efforts. Hopefully now they will believe in themselves as much as Coach Caldwell and I believe in them already. Winning is never easy, and we are so happy for them, Coach Caldwell, being B-Rad Brad. Caldwell, we'll see if the Bulls can keep it going and keep that computer ranking up. It is number 89 after that victory. Actually, just two more events before the conference championship. The next one is this weekend, starting on Sunday in Georgia. And let's not forget about the women's team. Again, you combine the fall and the spring in golf, and they have been good in both. They're 57th, which is at-large entry territory if you don't win your conference tournament. It has been a long time since women's golf got an at-large entry. In fact, any entry into the NCAA tournament as a team. We know Melanie Green made it as an individual last year, along with Elise Vidal, who has transferred into the school. Both big reasons why in the current rankings, they're 57th. They only have one more chance to up those rankings as they will play in early April in Chattanooga and then play host in Brooksville to the conference championship. So golf and tennis, both right around the rankings where you want to be. We got to mention women's tennis, which had an easy victory on Tuesday. We told you about talking to Romaine Beckford at the track, and I planned on kicking over to the tennis courts, but they had already won the thing. Four wins in a row to get to eight and five and get into the top 75. ITA ranks teams out to 75, and not only are the Bulls in them, for the first time in a while, but all the way up at 59. I sound like Casey Kasem making their debut at the number 59 spot. So what's happened to the Bulls after they beat a pair of above 500 teams last weekend and then took down Cincinnati on Tuesday at the USF courts, seven to nothing. And this was a rout in doubles with Sierra Berry and Grace Schumacher winning six love. And at number three, Laura Pellisse and Ireland Simi going 6-1 in their match. Cincinnati kept it competitive on a few courts and actually took a set from the number one player, Sierra Berry. But everything was well decided by then because of the easy nature of the wins for the Bulls at the number three spot, particularly with Pellisse, 6-1, 6-2. At number five, Cleona Walsh, the freshman, 6-2, 6-2, love. And then the Bulls wrapped it up when Ozzy Grace Schumacher won her number two singles match, 6-4-6-3. Since Cincinnati was already down here, might as well play it out right, and the Bulls won all three, even though it could have gone against them at the number six spot, where Sabrina Ibarra got a spot start, lost her first set, but then, wow, 6-1-6-1 in the last two. Ireland Simi wins her match, 6-4-6-4, and then Barry, after dropping that second set, since it was already decided, they finished it with what they call a super tiebreaker, first to 10 points, and she completes the shutout 10-6. to six. And guess what? 
The Bulls are back at it today, going up against another conference foe, Wichita State. Like the Bulls, Wichita State jumped into the rankings, which were released on Tuesday, but then they lost at number 62, by the way, to Florida Atlantic. Still, Wichita State is 7-6, and six, so this should be a good battle beginning at noon at the USF Women's Tennis Courts, looking for a fifth straight win. Now, the Bulls, who are the veterans, all of them had a poor performance against Miami last year, and I wanted to start off my questioning with Elena Chinecki. Was there a little looking ahead to the potential second-round matchup? Don't think that's going to be a problem this year. Last year, I don't know if it was any part of it, but you could have just naturally looked ahead. I know that's not going to be in a situation. Did you learn from that last year, possibly looking ahead to South Carolina? Yeah, I think it was a big lesson. We weren't ready last year. But this year should be our year, and we got to all do better and be ready to play with whoever we have to play against. There's only a few people on this roster, yourself included, that have NCAA tournament experience. What do you try to do to help some of the ones that haven't been there? I think we all have to like share our knowledge and our experience. And, yes, we do have a lot of newcomers, but... Sami, Sami, I'm pretty sure she's been in the NCAA tournament before. So uh, most of our starters have been already in the NCAA tournament. So we we can just share the experience with the younger players. What was like the reaction like? I know you guys haven't had a ton of practices since, but I'm talking about it mentally, emotionally, and the response that way. Um, we all know that we we didn't have a good game. It was a bad day, and I think we made us all hungry and ready to respond. Our practices are different. We work harder. We, we wanted more. So sometimes things happen for a reason, and we're here to respond. And it would appear that Dulcie Fankamengiadu has similar motivation. So after losing the other day, which nobody really expected, how, how will that fuel you? What kind of incentive will you have now after a game like that? We just have motivation. And it was a big shock. Like Right now, I think we just get past the shock, and we just kind of getting ready for what's coming next. We cannot just like keep running around like, what was that? Like, you know, we need to get past it. It has to be annoying waiting so long from that last loss to wait to play oh, again. <laughs> how, how hard is it? First of all, when you know that you lost it and there's still other teams in the conference keep playing, <laughs> that was the hardest, I think. And then just waiting for that to, it was what, Tuesday to Sunday? It was a long wait. Regardless of who you're playing, where you're playing, what your seat is, mm-hmm. when you when you have your team and you guys are playing well, how much confidence do you have about against anybody? I have plenty of confidence. We have a really great team right now. I mean, we were really devastated about how the tournament went. But right now, I think everybody is really focused about what's coming. We couldn't really control who we would play, what seed we would have, but right now we have it. We just got to see what's next. We just got to keep going, keep pushing, uh, keep pushing through. And I can tell you, being in the team hotel last night, we were having some dinner and some Marquette individuals came through our same restaurant, and there was a little, no, it was fine. Everybody's getting along so far, but probably not on Friday. We'll tell you more about the Golden Eagles tomorrow, but really all you need to know about them is they're from a big East Conference that wasn't just UConn this year. You had, of course, Villanova end up being a host, by the way, one of the three hosts that the Bulls played, Texas and Ohio State being the others. But St. John's was right around the bubble, ended up getting in with one of the last spots. So they were playing against good competition this year, and they almost beat Villanova once, got blown out the other time, but the Bulls 
Also got blown out by Villanova, but they beat UConn. That's all you really need to know. And again, we'll tell you all about them tomorrow. But their leader is a senior point guard who is also uh, their top three-point shooter, along with being top scorer with 16 points a game. Jordan King tosses in 124 assists. Their top three scores don't quite have the same averages as the Bulls, but are two seniors and a junior, so it's going to be a tough one. Well, the baseball team had a tough one on Tuesday night, and when I said some stuff was happening in that game that made you think, this could be a long type of week, well, this was the best example. Definitely a ball, but in this game has not always been called one. Corners have been fluctuating. 1-0. Oh, Rose up the middle, and this could be home to first. It is. And that is a dagger right there. That was part of the Bulls dropping a 6-1 game to Dartmouth, a team that came to town. We talked about their schedule. They played Miami three times. They played Penn State once. They played Wagner, an above 500 team, twice. So good schedule, but still an ERA of over 11 and only hitting 202. And they got the Bulls for 11 hits on Tuesday night. It was not a good start for Nolan Hootie. But that was a bases-loaded situation in the sixth when it was a 5-1 game. And Man, the Bulls were getting some double plays, but once that one happened, you realize it wasn't going to be their day. And then, man oh man, did Wednesday afternoon have a familiar feel to it. Some of the highlights as called by Jim Lauk on ESPN+. Plus. First of all, Tyler Cox, who is a guy who was the Ivy League player of the year last year, hit 402, but with only one home run. Yeah, after making it on base all five times with four hits and a walk, he starts off the game with a home run. And then the Bulls start off the game with a double play. And Travis Sankovich to the plate, 267, no homers, six driven in. That ball hit sharply, gloved by the first baseman, out at second, that's all they'll get. And the Bulls have tied it up, it's one to one. Or are they? Now they're going to call out. So it looks like Dartmouth has gotten out of the inning. Billy Mole coming out to ask for an explanation. You hear that yelling in the background. That's kind of how it was going. Dartmouth was feeling it, getting double plays seemingly whenever they needed to, including what was an absolute BS call. They said that Drew Brutcher over-aggressively slid into the shortstop. First of all, not true. Secondly, there is zero chance of that being turned into a double play. And it was. And guess what? Bottom of the second, another double play for the Bulls. And so this did not have a good vibe. You needed something to go your way. And in the bottom of the fourth, it did. Brutcher legs out a double, almost got thrown out, which would have just fallen in line with everything. Travis Sankovich singles to put runners on the corners. And then a wild pitch, whatever it takes, right, ties the score. And the man who came on for his first action as a true freshman out of Deltona and got three hits in his debut Tuesday night didn't get a hit here, but put the Bulls ahead. Runners at first and third, one out in the inning. Bulls have tied it up, one apiece. And that ball's going to hit deep enough to score the run. Hoyt going back, makes the catch. Sankovich tags, he will score, and South Florida takes their first lead of the series. It's 2-1, to one, Bulls. Nicely done by Rafael Betancourt. Sacrifice fly, his first career RBI. Bulls had the lead. They got a decent start out of Lawson Gailey, who struck out six, by the way. And then Jackson Cawthorn ends up getting the win despite in his one inning of work 
Walking 3. It was kind of a strange pitched series. Dartmouth went with its Friday and Saturday starters for one inning each, and so it was bullpen day for them. Because of the fact they're playing UCF for three this weekend and they hadn't played for nine days, I think Dartmouth coming to down on that nine-day break, even though they were 0-7, kind of was the loose bunch. And you could tell, and the Bulls have been struggling, were the tighter bunch. And again, you have things just going against you. Bottom of the sixth, they get a couple runners on with Travis Sankovic, a nice job going the other way. Nelson Rivera, righty goes the other way. And then a four-pitch walk. And then you bring in a new guy on Dartmouth's side, and he plunks the first guy he sees. In those two and two-thirds innings, Chapel has allowed four doubles, two home runs. He's hit a batter, and he's walked three, but he's also struck out four. Sankovic, Rivera, and Betancourt are the base runners. Two outs in the inning, and here's Luthner trying to put South Florida on top. And he will the hard way. Hit by a pitch, three to two Bulls. So the Bulls retake the lead, and again, however you can do it at this time, you're doing it three to two. But Jackson Cothran comes in and walks a couple. So Caleb Punsack, who frankly probably should have gotten the winning decision, he only needed to throw a few pitches, but they were huge. Kept the Bulls on top. There's the lead runner. Nico Banez, he started things off with a walk. Tyler Cox also walked. He's at first, and Tyler Robinson at the plate. The bunt is popped up, and Punsack gets the easiest out you can imagine. One away. Bouncing ball to second. There's one. And two. Bulls get the double play. 4-6-3. Montez, Snow on the turn, and then Betancourt. And Caleb Punsack comes in and puts out the fire for South Florida. Three to two Bulls as we head to the bottom of the seventh. Still needed some insurance, and the first and only run-scoring hit in two days against Dartmouth. 0-1 to Montez, and still a lot of this game story to be written here as we play in the bottom of the eighth in a three to two game. This ball hit into the gap in right center field. That's going to fall for a base hit. Betancourt will score. Rosenblum will stop at third. Now they've got Montez in a rundown, and he will be tagged out. But the run does score, and the Bulls have taken a two-run lead. You know what? Even though they got thrown out on the play, he'll still take the run-scoring hit. It turned out to be valuable insurance because Riley Skeener does a good job out of the pen for the Bulls as their closer gives up a homer. Dartmouth had two homers in the game. And by the way, Tyler Cox, who was unbelievable, reached base every single time, three for three with two walks. He had a perfect couple of days, including that home run. They were scrappy, but the Bulls got the win, four to three, as Skeen finishes up his second save so they'll start off a series against army tomorrow supposed to be a friday night and then saturday and sunday afternoon but i'm guessing things might get moved around at some point today keep an eye on my twitter page at Derek sharp for any updates and we already talked about how track and field might get altered by the weather the texas longhorns fans will be in town for that they are the defending champions and oh yeah their softball team is pretty good too the defending runner up is supposed to play the Bulls tomorrow night along with Lehigh in softball and another game scheduled for Sunday against Texas. Last night in softball, the Bulls looked like they were headed for a doubleheader sweep and five wins in a row, but then something that has gotten them in basically all of their recent losses, and that is one poor defensive play 
did them in. They gave up a homer in the first inning, and that was all they had given up until two outs in the sixth. Let's start off with the first game, a 9-1 win against Jacksonville, where the Dolphins indeed hit a homer off of Peyton Dixon in the first. She had an interesting complete game victory her ninth of the year. She didn't strike anybody out, and of course only had to pitch five innings because the Bulls put up a five spot in the fourth. But answering that early home run was the Bulls' Marissa Tribal Piece and Vivian Pond with homers of their own. Tribal Piece, a two-run jack, and then Vivian Pond drills one. Bulls get another run in the second on an air single and a sack fly by Megan Piero. Then we go to the fifth where they broke it open. Pond walks, a couple singles by Kathy Garcia and Alana Consolazio. Bases loaded walk, sack fly, and then you start to get into run rule territory thanks to Megan Sheehan's single and Marissa Tribal Pieces two-run single. And the Bulls indeed win it by that eight-run margin to head to the next game and get ready for a big weekend. And the Bulls, as we mentioned, were ahead 2-0. They could not, though, get it really going until the fourth inning against Shelby Harp, who walked five Bulls, entered the game with an ERA of 12.2. That's because she didn't get anybody out her last time. Gave up three doubles and five runs while throwing 17 pitches in a 9-0 loss to Clemson. She had also had a game against the Gators. These are excusable blow-up games, but just to point them out, had given up five runs while only getting one batter out. And last year, in her first year after transferring from Austin P, Shelby Harp was 4-15 with the Dolphins. Well, now she's 2-1 after throwing a complete game where, again, she was not only destined to lose, but worked around plenty of walks. Funny enough, the fourth inning when the Bulls got their runs, it had nothing to do with the walk. It was a big jack by Jordan Cadla. Pulls it down the left field line, and the Bulls had their lead. Sure looked like it was going to be enough. Looked like they were going to tack on one in the fifth when Alyssa Reno tripled, but Vivian Pond flew out on the next pitch. So on to the sixth inning. Martinez hits a batter, gives up a single, and then with some righties coming up, they bring in Antoinette Hill. First pitch she throws is hit for an RBI single, but then she gets a K, First and third, two outs, and I mentioned defense. It was a deep grounder to short. The batter, frankly, is one that the Bulls had plenty of time to get, and the freshman, Kathy Garcia, great arm, but she throws it wide to first base. Ball is dropped to tack on and two runs score. The Bulls actually start the next inning with an out and then two more walks, but they line into a double play. And in the seventh inning, again, a leadoff walk, but the Bulls can't get it done. So you have to admit that's a disappointing loss, but the Bulls hope to shake it off this weekend. So tomorrow's show will focus a lot on previewing the women's basketball game. And yes, we'll give you some conference stuff to end each hour because we just didn't have time to do it this morning. In fact, I re-recorded just the end here, Bulls beat from Bulls practice as it got moved up by an hour. So no conference show today, but we'll make it up to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Bulls Beat. I'm Derek Sharp.